Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian, and oh man, I opened my big mouth yesterday and I said, why don't we just take something easy like pigweed control? Well, guess what? That's today's topic, pigweed control. And yes, in a number of different crops and certainly across the country, this is one of the tougher weeds to get under control. So we'll discuss some strategies that you can use today that will provide you a good return on investment. We'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD and tackling a number of those Emails that we've gotten in at radio at agphd.com and the agphd mailbag time as well. All right, Brian, pigweed control is our topic today. I know we we talk about this often, but there's a reason. This one is really robbing yield if you don't get it under control. Right. It's a bigger problem, too, in broadleaf crops because it's a broadleaf weed. It's always easier to control broadleaf than grass crops. So like in corn, We have a bunch of fantastic options, everything from status to the HVPDs and many more in wheat, same kind of thing. Plus the fact that wheat usually chokes out the pigweed because it's so thick and it gets going before the pigweed starts. But like you take soybeans and it may take six different herbicides and you go, what? I can't afford that. Yes, you actually can because I'm not talking about spraying six separate times. What I'm talking about is using six different products and several different modes of action within that, both pre and post. So it sounds bad, but I I throw it out all the time. Use the three pre's, a yellow, metribuzin, and a PPO, either authority or valor. All three of those have great activity on, on pigweed species, whether it's water hemp, palmer pigweed, red root, doesn't matter. And then early post, I'd hit it with a couple more chemistries like I prefer Warrant Ultra otherwise Anthem Max is really good too either way you've got a group 15 that's residual and then you've got a PPO that gives you contact and some residual and then after that you can follow up with your dicamba or uh, enlist or maybe you just want to use Cobra and conventional beans or you want to spray Liberty or I mean you have several choices for the third overall pass so I'm saying pre and early post then come with something else. So that's where I get to six different chemistries, but really it's in three different trips across the field. You do that, and you should be in fantastic shape in soybeans. Yes, not skipping any of those steps is important because timeliness, as we find with almost everything, is really the key. to. We see different farmers using the same programs, and one has better success than the other, Getting things done timely, getting a rain on those pre's to, to get them working is really critical. Getting those post-emerge products timed and the weeds are small is really critical. And, you know, the big one that I see, Brian, is the pre's. Getting them out there early is really nice, but there's always this debate. Should I put them on after planting so I don't disturb them with my row cleaners and everything else that I got going on? Or if I put them out early and I get more time to get rain on, is that worth the, the risk that I might kick some of it out of the way and I might have some weeds in the row? Well, if I am running no-till, I understand the logic of, you know what, I want to wait as long as possible so I get more, more burn-down activity. So I totally get that. But to your point, yeah, the earlier you spray, the more chance you have to get rain on it. 
So this is going to vary depending on your soil and your geography. So for example, here where we farm, when we're cold and dry, I want to spray really early. For guys that are in an area that's hot and wet, where you get rain like every third day, then don't worry about it. Just spray closer to planting. And the, the problem we run into, though, is with the yellow. You have to get the yellows out there before planting in most geographies south of Interstate 80. So that's cutting it off like right through uh, the lower part of Iowa. Anywhere from there south, you actually can put prowl on after you've planted, but you can't to the north. And the reason why is because we're worried about stem damage if there's uh, too much rain at just the wrong time at emergence with the prowl on black dirt. Uh, so there are a lot of factors, so this usually doesn't happen. But this is the reason why we want prowl on before you plant. Then your risk mostly goes away. I'm not worried about it then. But anyway, I, I would just say I'm, I'm all for changing up the plan based on whatever your geography is and your normal weather conditions. Well, what about past history? Because there are a number of farmers that this year, for one reason or another, had a disaster field, whether it just got missed with the sprayer or they got the timing wrong or something yeah. happened. And on a disaster field, when you've got a weed that is known to produce a million seeds or more, how long are we going to fight that? And what do you do different on those disaster fields? Well, this is the plan for the disaster fields. When you have really clean fields, a lot of people can get by with just the three pre's, and then they come with something post-emerge, the 2,4-D, Dicamba, Liberty, maybe Cobra, whatever. But if you want to hit it with the very best thing you can do, use the three pre's, follow with like a Warrant Ultra or Anthemax early post, then follow with something after that. Yeah, you just have and to again, do And again, I'm talking soybeans. Right, right. Yeah, it, 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 it's way easier in corn and wheat. I'm, I'm just not that worried about it. No, it's not as big a deal. And then you look at some of the new technologies we've got in soybeans now, too, and you say, well, we've got Extend, and we've got uh, Extendamax and Ingenia that we can use there, or we've got Enlist, and we've got Enlist 1 that we can use there. Those are nice products for small weeds. That doesn't mean you can have a train wreck out there. That doesn't mean, uh, like it used to happen with Roundup all the time, ah, oh, they can get a couple feet tall. I can always get them later. Nope. You got to be timely or you're not going to be happy. Right. Yep. Timeliness is a big, big key. And unfortunately, we see a lot of things that are mistimed. So that's why you've got to plan this out and plan it out right now. And if you make it a priority that, hey, I am going to get the three pre's on and ha hey, by the time the, the soybeans are five inches tall, I am going to have that next shot on. You're way ahead when it comes to getting these weeds totally taken care of. We're going to talk about pigweed control on today's program and also take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back after this. This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? 
If you use Fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today. We're discussing pigweed control, and I, I had a story. I, I visited BASF's corporate headquarters a number of times down in North Carolina, and on the wall, they've got a, a big wall hanging that has a bunch of different weeds that that they're showing, oh, here's weeds that, that our products control, that kind of thing. Well, I, I was chatting with the person working the front desk there, and she said, I bet you don't know what every one of those is. And I said, oh, you don't know who you're talking to here. And I named off every one of those weeds on the wall. Well, one of them was cocklebur. And she said, man, nobody gets that one right. And I said, are you kidding me? Cocklebur was, was a big deal when I was a kid. We had to pull a lot of those when we were out walking beans. And and she said, oh, you, you walk beans? She goes, well, did you ever spray for cocklebur? I said, yes, and I know why it's on the wall at BASF, because Bassagran was our first product we had that actually controlled those things, and we loved it. And she just started laughing. She goes, yeah, that's exactly right. Our company made a ton of money off cocklebur control because we were the first to bring a solution. And I, I was thinking about pigweed control, and, man, there's quite a few companies out there that are hanging their hat on pigweed control, and it used to be Roundup. But, of course, uh, that's not working the greatest anymore on pigweed control. But there are some other products that are doing a pretty nice job. we got Tom Wood on right now with Belsham. And, Tom, I, I would say you could probably hang your hat on pigweed control. It's been one that you guys have knocked out pretty well. Yeah, we've been talking about it. We've been saying that. Oh, by the way, how are you, Darren? Doing well. You doing well. Talk to you again. You bet. Yeah. Um, we're doing a good job against pigweeds, uh, water hemp, palmer, our product, Tough 5 ec with one year under our belt, we have all positive responses from the field. And especially if you have HPPD-resistant weeds, adding Tough to your, to your tank at 8 ounces an acre does a very nice job in, in 
souping up your tank to kill those weeds. Hey, real quick question. Since you mentioned both water hemp and Palmer, uh, do you see much difference controlling one versus the other? I know they say Palmer might grow just a little bit faster, but uh, I really haven't noticed much difference. I, I found the products that do a good job on water hemp do an equally good job on Palmer. I I agree with you. We don't see much difference. And, and all that aside, we say get them while they're small anyway. Get them before they get to four inches and everything will be fine. But um, we don't see the difference that much neither. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Well, okay, so you had had a, a good year of experience in 2021 with Tough. What's different going into 2022? What what new things are you bringing, and how would you tweak the program? Well, 2022, of course, we got a couple things going. I, I'm saying this is going to be the year of innovation in weed management programs because of the shortages. So a couple things we're doing. Last year, we had some good experiences with, um, let's just say, extending programs or making products last longer or using products for other things. It uh, Tough worked well with status. Uh, so that's new for 22. Uh, looking at dose rates of the HPPDs that you're using with Tough can help you uh, use more of your HPPDs longer. And we're even looking at programs where we can reduce the amount of glyphosate, i.e. some people have talked to us, what would you do if we set a (laughs) glyphosate-free program? So we talk to them about that so they can save it for their beans. And we have, uh, we'll be test marketing a, a new product called Tougher. And this is Pure Day with Miso. So uh, we're looking forward to exciting things with that. So we're bringing our next phase of, of Pure Day product to the market. All right. You mentioned the supply issues that are out there, and you're right. <laughs> Farmers are going to have to be on the ball here, and agronomists, of course, are going to have to be on the ball about, all right, we don't have this, or we only have a low rate of this. What can we do to supplement the program? What is the supply of Tough Like this year? Because there are a lot of farmers that, that got to try it last year, and I know there's a number that we've talked to that say, man, I use some of that. I'm going to use it on every acre this year. Can they get it? We have ample supply for 2022, but I also say we have ample supply, but not an infinite supply. Um, But we don't expect to run out of product this year, and if we do, it will be a blowout year for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that's a tough thing. When you're you're in a growing market, when you've got something that you know there's going to be more acres used this year because it worked, uh, it's hard to know, well, is everybody going to switch or, or how, what percentage are going to switch? So, so I get it. You got a great supply. Hopefully you sell out. I really, I hope you do. And I hope a lot of people get to try that product. Okay. Talk to us about yeah, tougher we, then. How, how big a test market are you doing? Is this available everywhere? Is this something we should advise people? Hey, ask your agronomist about, or is it more of a limited launch? It's going to be a limited launch. Um, it's, I think we'll just put out maybe 5,000 gallons, which, you know, that's going to cover, you know, a limited amount of acres. We're still, you know, second year of tough. We want to introduce this. Um, I would say, I don't want to highlight different distributors, but I think talk to your agronomist and uh, check with your um, favorite distributor, and I would imagine they're going to have it, if I can put it that way. 
Sure, sure. Well, and and we're seeing this. Uh, I think it's important too. You you bring tough out. You bring pyridate out, and a lot of the the reason that it's working so good is guys weren't using that chemistry. So that's awesome. We got a new mode right. of action that we can bring out, or a new active ingredient we can bring out. Now you're mixing with another active that's working. Miso. It, it's it's just fine. But there are a lot of guys spraying straight miso out there that are going to be looking for. Hey, what can I tank mix? Because I don't want to lose my HPPDs. So having a two mode of action product adds quite a bit for farmers yeah we're looking forward to that for sure what about atrazine and what's been your experience we, we've talked to a lot of growers about varying rates of atrazine and many growers kind of the same thing atrazine went way up in price a lot of them are saying i used to use a half pound i'm going to use a quarter pound what do you think about that um you know We've seen tough work best with the HPPDs. You know, we always say it synergizes with HPPDs, and I can go into that. But it also enhances the performance of uh, atrazine, speed to kill. We're seeing tough with atrazine at uh, a pound, plus or minus a little bit, depending on the weeds. Um, so that's what we're seeing. Yeah, I know there are a lot of guys talking about that, that that they saw good luck throwing in some atrazine in that mix. And uh, with the miso, I know we've we've uh, found through the years that if, if we at least had a quarter pound or a quarter of, uh, I should say, ha not half a pound, but a quarter pound in the mix, that was enough to at least get some of that synergism going with the HPPD. And I, I could see that three-way mix, three-mode-of-action mix going out there this year. Now, one thing with Tough Tom, uh, coverage on the weed seems to be one of the keys to getting this working. Do you have recommendations in terms of tips or pressure or those types of things, or are you just advising guys try to get that, that medium-sized droplet instead of the great big ones? Uh, medium-sized droplet. We're recommending uh, 20 gallons, but and no no less than 15 gallons. So it's been it's been working pretty good. But full coverage is the recommended. It's a contact herbicide, so. Um, get her down that way yeah i agree and and the other thing that we saw that really helped last year is guys that got out there a little bit earlier like you always talk about four inch tall weeds maximum and and uh, i think yeah. the good thing about that is the crop's a little bit smaller too so you can get coverage down in there and you don't get caught up in the canopy i think that's one of the things especially for the guys with narrow rows that were able to get out there just a little bit earlier we saw a significant improvement in cut in in control and and not that we had complaints other Otherwise, but man, when, when you're just wiping them out a hundred percent and then you canopy, oh, you got it made in the shade. That's for sure. And don't forget the perimeters, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt about that. Well, we're talking with Tom Wood here with Belsham. He's talking about tough. Uh, it's been a great tool in the arsenal to control pigweed. Now they're going to start marketing tougher in 2022 on a, on a test market basis. You can certainly talk to your supplier about that. If you're looking for a little additional control on your pigweeds, Tom, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on again. Thanks, Darren. Appreciate it as well. You bet. Talking about pigweed control on today's program and definitely a big challenge. Tom kind of identified, hey, it's not just water hemp, it's also palmer pigweed, and, and we see both of those weeds in some areas. We'll talk more about them coming up right after this. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, 
or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other AgPhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. This message is for all the corn and soybean growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment, period. Zolera FX has two high-performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data, go to ZoleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest Premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. And yesterday, I opened my big mouth. We were talking about uh, nutrients and balance and all these kinds of things, and and we got into, well, man, some of these are some tough questions on how do we fix this. And I said, why don't you give us an easy question like pigweed control? Apparently, somebody was listening because today our topic is pigweed control. So I didn't want to come off as saying, oh, this is simple and easy and it's never going to be a problem because we know better. It, it can certainly be a challenge and it can get out of hand in a hurry. Uh, so we thought we'd get go right into the belly of the beast here, Arkansas, and talk to our friend Matt Miles, who knows quite a bit about pigweed in a variety of different crops. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Darren, and 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 you kind of hit that right, the belly of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a farmer, uh, we were just chatting today, that lost eight bushels only from pigweed. 
It was one part of a field. They just didn't get the weed control on. I don't know what happened. There's some kind of miscommunication. And it was an eight bushel difference. And it wasn't even that bad an outbreak of pigweed. So I've been to Arkansas. I've seen some of these fields that have gotten out of hand. It's a lot more than an eight bushel loss there. I know that. Oh, yeah, you can't. <clears throat> that's one thing here. You can't ever get behind the eight ball. That's why we use so many different, you know, ideas and ways uh, to, to try to combat them. Because, like you said, I've seen some fields that are basically unharvestable uh, because pigweeds got out of control. And not only that, but the seed bank you make for the following year, uh, it, it's just, you know, we have to act like, you know, we started this thing several years ago uh, being more pre, you know, you know, we didn't have pigweeds. We acted like we did. We were proactive instead of, you know, waiting till we had them because I, I could see things going on in areas north of us. And I'm like, man, if we ever get in that position, you know, you can't play catch up. It's kind of like, you know, when you mine your soil or fertilize, it's a lot easier to maintain and build. And it's the exact same principles when you're dealing with Palmer. Okay, so we talk about soybeans a lot, and we can certainly talk about that if you want, but you don't just raise soybeans. I know you've gotten some attention with some of the soybean yields that you've had out there, which which have been fantastic, and obviously you've got to have great pigweed control if you're going to get 100 bushel soybeans. But what about the other crops you raise? Do you find pigweed to be a real challenge for you in other crops? They're, they're just as hard to control. Uh, you know, we grow cotton, corn, and soy, soybeans mainly are the three we have the most problems with, our rice. You know, because of the flooding, you know, how we grow the rice, we, we, we control the majority of the pigweeds, you know, with water. But, yes, sir, and, you know, a lot of the practices are the same. A lot of them are different chemicals. You know, you can't use atrazine on soybeans. But they seem to tend to be a little easier to control uh, in the corn because, as you were talking earlier, having that atrazine piece in there, you know, makes a synergy on it. But, uh, you know, we, we, have them, we have them in all our crops. It's just on the land. You just... You start out with a budget of how you're going to control Palmer no matter what you're growing. Talk to us about the cotton a little bit. I know we've got a number of cotton growers that, that listen to the show and say, man, you guys got to talk more about cotton on your show. So what's different in cotton? What products are you using that, that are really working on the pigweed? Well, in, in the last few years, of course, you know, uh, of course, you know of Arkansas, dicamba is, uh, you know, is always up in the air whether we can use it or not. Uh, so taking out the, the dicamba piece, uh, you know, we always start with any crop, but I mean, cotton's a little bit, they're a little bit tougher to control in cotton simply because we don't seem to have the same tools, you know, quite as good a tool. So we're always going to start out with a, you know, an application of cotteran and a product called break, which is the old Zorial product. And it's expensive, but I mean, you've got to start somewhere. And then, you know, we actually had to go to Liberty Varieties. Uh, you know, Liberty resi resistant varieties to be able to control them. And now they've got the Liberty and the Dicamba together. So when we get to use Dicamba, that, that's a big part of our toolbox now. But it's just like anything else. Uh, you've got to start with a pre and you need those. Well, I think you need those weeds at two inches or less to, to kill them with anything you're going back with post. 
All right. So you mentioned dicamba and you also mentioned Liberty that, man, when you can use those tools in cotton, it sure is helpful. Does that change up what you want to do on soybeans? I know we, we talk to a lot of growers that say, uh, I like having the same technology in multiple crops, so I don't have to worry about tank clean out or drift or any of those kinds of things. But then we also talk to growers that say, I like my dicamba so much in this crop, I'm not going to use it in the other one. What's your feeling on that? When you look at, at soybean traits and cotton traits, do you try to mix things up there? Or do you try to stay the same? We try to stay because we're so many multiple crops. You know, I may have a cotton field next to a soybean field, uh, you know, next to a corn field. And so we try our best to stay with the same technology. That way, you know, sprayer cleanup's easier and it's just easier to keep from making mistakes and uh, just try to do a good job. And, and it's kind of like with the dicamba piece, you know, you are liberty the one. You can go out there and spray and not use enough water and not use the right tips and you're going to get a, a, a half job. And so that's the main thing. And, and that was something for me to get, it was hard for me to get used to is running that 15 to 20 gallons of water. Cause you know, back in the old roundup days, we ran five to 10 and you know, you can get double the amount of acres per fill up, but we've had to learn that we've got to do things exactly the proper way. If you do them the proper way with, even if you're talking about drift, you know, then you're going to pretty much be, you know, unless some anomaly comes up, you're going to pretty much be able to, to control what you need to control with, with whatever chemical you use. If it's, you know, if it's labeled for that weed. When it comes to irrigation and some of the different things you're doing to, to push these crops along, does any of that change up with pigweed control other than just uh, making sure you have a chance to get out in a dry field to, to do your spraying? Do you, do you change irrigation timing or anything? We really don't. We haven't had to yet. Uh, sometimes later in the season because we're furrow or flood irrigation, you know, you've got to, you really want that, you know, we're like, say, for instance, in cotton, we're going to lay down another pre, which is what we call our lay-by, you know, will be the last thing we do right there at canopy closure. And a lot of times we have to activate that with our irrigation. So you can imagine you, you apply the chemical and then you're further irrigating that to the bottom. You know, we know we're losing some efficiency there simply because we're having to force that water down that middle. So, you know, we don't change our irrigation based on pigweed control by the time we start our irrigation in most instances we've got that that canopy closed or close to it where where that don't affect it but it does it does make it leave quicker of course you know because we're watering it out but at that point we're just hoping that we've got enough canopy closure you know, to, to take care of anything else coming up. Yeah, that canopy is the biggest thing. And I know anytime anybody says, oh, man, uh, Brian and Darren are always about chemical, chemical, chemical. No, we're not. That's the last resort. We First of all, we hope we don't have the weeds. That's the best thing. And if there's any cultural things we can do, like getting crop canopy a little bit earlier to choke them out so we don't have to make another pass, that's awesome. It's not only profitable for us, we end up with better yields that way. So just to ask you this question, Matt, what do you think about crop canopy? Does that change what you want to do for planting population and i know with furrow irrigation you're kind of limited on your row spacing of, of what your choices are yeah we th that's a big deal for us so we can grow a, a single row 38 inch soybean which is the way we plant our cotton we can grow that soybean on the sandier soils and and and, and come out with about the same yield as we do with the twin row configuration but that twin row uh is usually just a pinch better on yield but the canopy, that's that's the big deal for us is it closes the canopy sooner. And it and it almost seems unbelievable that, that canopy would make that much difference, but it does make a lot of difference. And so every crop we're growing, that's the first thing we want to do is, 
is manage that canopy to close as quickly as we can so that because it, it makes a lot of difference that a guy wouldn't really believe yeah no doubt about it you got to be really fussy on variety selection too to get varieties that are capable of doing that and and will do it quickly for you there's, absolutely there's just so many important now, decisions along the way yeah and if you get your canopy and, and you got i'm sure a lot of guys in the midwest are a lot narrow rows than we are so you know if you're if you're going with a narrow row spacing and closing that canopy quicker you've got to be more proactive on getting that residual out you know in a timely manner because if you want it to hit the ground and you've already got the canopy closed you know that's kind of a double-edged sword yeah yeah good luck with that you're right now we're talking with matt miles down in arkansas matt thank you so much really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and and hear a few of your strategies around pigweed control yes sir thank you darren you have a good day you bet you as well talking about pigweed control on our show today but our phone lines are open throughout the show we'll take any agronomic question that that may be top of mind for you it's 844-44-AG-PHD and you can always email us as well radio at agphd.com we'll be right back after this Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. 
Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're talking about pigweed control on the show. And there's several different types of pigweed, whether it's red rip pigweed, palmer pigweed, water hemp, uh, and and several other species. Fortunately, most of the products that are going to work on one are going to work on the next. I, I can't think of exceptions to that. So if you say man i don't know which kind of pigweed i have doesn't really matter the same herbicides will work and a lot of same cultural practices to keep these weeds under control will work on one species versus the next got our friend lee lubers on he farms in south dakota lee is pigweed your number one weed or what would you say the number one weed is in where you guys farm it has become our number one weed uh with water hemp and palmer amaranth moving into the area Prior to that, it was kosher, and uh, Palmer and water hemp, uh, yeah, they're they're formidable foes. Okay, so uh, I know about kosher, and that is not easy either. Uh, but talk to us about about the rotations that you're using, and kind of programs and timings that you're using to keep water hemp or Palmer out of the crop. Uh, we've been maintaining clean fields. Uh, we're one of the few people in the area that have clean fields. A lot of people have not taken the issue serious yet. They just say water hemp and palmer. Oh, they're just they're just regular pigweeds. Well, they're not. So uh, we use multi-mode prees in the spring. That's been a huge lifesaver. And then with our no-till program, we've gotten into fall uh, valor program, and that has been amazing. Yeah, that fall treatment is big. And I know every once in a while we'll get questions into the Ag PhD mailbag and, and folks will say, well, what would you do in this system? And and I have to say now, oh, unfortunately, I wish you would have done this in the fall because it would have made your life so much easier in the spring. But definitely try that next year. So when you're out there with fall valor, we get a lot of questions around that as to, okay, if I put valor out in the fall, can I still come back with, say, a prowl and a metribuzin in the spring to, to add some other modes of action and lengthen out that control? Or are you finding that fall valor where you're at, where you normally don't get this huge amount of rainfall, that fall valor can hold you through the season? It has worked amazing. That is one of the most impressive things that we've done in weed control. And But we decided we want our field to stay clean. Uh, the valor, is by the time we put it on in October, November, weather permitting, and the snow and the rain uh, get it locked in, we're going to start losing some punch by late in May. So that's when we make sure we have our pre's on. So then basically we have season long control. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. And I know you guys utilize crop rotation so well out there to, to try to minimize all the other issues that you've got. Do you have trouble other than soybeans? Are there other crops where pigweed control has really been a challenge? I know you're, you're I don't think anyway, you guys are still doing the sunflowers, but I know the guys in your area that do sunflowers really complain about pigweed too. 
Yeah, in our winter wheat program, we've been staying clean so far, but we have talked to some guys to the east of us where water hemp is becoming a really bad issue. And uh, last year we experimented with YDAR match and really liked it. And that has a very good control on that and Canadian thistle. So this year we're switching to YDAR match. Sure. And that way we feel we will ensure clean wheat fields and that's important yeah that that was a big upgrade from the old wide match adding that elevore active in there has has certainly helped not just with pigweed but a number of the winter annual broadleaves too that's that has been good uh i know we just had matt miles on and he was saying you know everybody's talking about four inch weeds he's found two inch weeds is about all he can tolerate down there and he's got to get after it you talk about pre's you haven't talked about the post very much here uh do you have a weed size that you target or do you have a number of days after planting or anything like that what is kind of your guideline of when you guys pull the trigger post You've got to stay on the pigweed and the broad leaves at a very small size. Uh, we want two inch or less. Uh, if they start getting any size at all, uh, you may have to go out there with steel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that's not the best option. I know, like you had mentioned, in the no-till acres and just trying to conserve moisture where you guys farm. It's it's a tough environment, yet you're pulling off some tremendous yields. And uh, I know Lee Lee mentioned that he and his brother Terry like to keep these fields clean. Uh, I'll tell you, I've been out to those fields. They're pretty darn clean. These guys do a great job. Uh, Lee, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks for sharing a little about your program, too. Hey, no problem. Let's head over to Ohio, and uh, we're trying to get around the country here just a little bit and give you a taste of what's going on in different areas. we got our friend Drake Copeland out there with FMC. Drake, is it water hemp, or is it Palmer in your area, or worse yet, is it both? Well, that's a great question, and I would answer that and say it depends. Um, most part, it's water hemp, um, but I think in 2015 there was a drought, and dairy farmers had to go get their hay from out west. Um, and they brought some palmer in. So there's some isolated spots of palmer. But for the most part, Darren, it's a water hemp conversation um, where there's issues. Okay. Well, either way, I mean, they're both pigweeds. A lot of the same things are, are going to be used regardless of which one it is. And many times we see growers looking for the longest residual they can find. We've been really happy with the authority products. They've done a great job with length of control. But you got some new ones out there this year. Can you talk to us about what your recommendation is going into the spring of 2022 and which options might be the best if you really have a heavy pigweed or water hemp problem yeah and i think uh it, it's a really good year i guess with everything going on to, to switch your mindset away from okay what traits can i spray a post on to more of what residuals can i spray and uh the gentleman ahead of me did an incredible job but you know in my territory we're relying heavily on authority supreme at planning um we like to add metribuse into that just to get another mode of action and one that's very water soluble so activation kind of isn't an issue with something as water soluble as sulfentrazone and metribuzin and i'm on the same uh the same line as the gentleman before me i like to be you know you mentioned the time frame i like to be 28 30 days guys if, if the soybeans are up already be out there thinking about spraying and, and from the sprayer it looks like bare ground right but the reality is there's there's little weeds there and they're usually under an inch or two and and that's where we want to be and that can conserve our 
post products, but also get that residual out timely. That way we can get that activated and get the canopy closure. What do you think about the post-emerge residual products? I know you've done some work on this. Have you seen them add a lot of control? Because, frankly, they aren't that expensive when you look at what soybean prices are today for the cost of a bushel of soybeans or maybe even less. Adding one of those post-emerge residuals in that first pass, to me, it looks like a good option. But just curious, what are you seeing in Ohio? Yeah, I think it's a no-brainer. I think it really fits especially on those acres where we've got 20 plus inch soybeans where you've got a longer time to canopy closure. And we've done research, you know, if you just use a residual up front versus two residuals or overlapping residuals, you're going to see anywhere from 20 to, to 50% reduction in weed control. And along with that, um, you're also sacrificing a lot of bushels um, in terms of soybean yield. So uh, it oftentimes, like you mentioned, especially the prices pays for itself. Um, when we're getting that good of weed control. You know, when you look at, at all the different products that are out there that, that growers can do, I think one of the keys that you said here, just to start with, hey, Authority Supreme's great. We love it at planting. We love it even more adding that third active in there, Metribuzin. We get a lot of growers out there that say, man, it sounds like a lot, but that's not that expensive a program for guys to do. No, uh, it's not. And, and in the grand scheme of things, Darren, that early weed control with residuals is probably the most important um, amount of money that you spend on that acre. Um, and, and on top of that, we've discussed overlapping that residual. And obviously, we've got Anthem Max, um, which is Proxysulfone and Cadet. But there's tons of Group 15s out there that we can put behind an Authority, authority Supreme pre and make it work. So I, I'm a proponent of just getting a Group 15 out there. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good good chemistry it's helped a lot on pigweed control and we really need all the tools that we got there's no doubt about that we're talking with drake copeland here with fmc out in ohio drake thank you so much really appreciate having you on today thanks talking about pigweed control but as we've been chatting about that we've got a number of other questions that have been coming in for the ag phd mailbag we'll get to those coming up next came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the toughest, hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide, a new formulation, delivers superior flush-after-flush control of wild oats and green foxtail. And Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, 
and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. That's right. It's time for the Ag PhD mailbag. We're answering your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And also taking a look at those emails coming in, radio at agphd.com. I want to start off with this one that came from Minnesota. And we get some questions around strip-till because Brian and I talk about that quite a bit that we we do some strip-till on our farm. We do really like the strip-till. Uh, we aren't doing every acre or anything. We're always experimenting, trying some different things. But Jeff from Minnesota writes, uh, did some strip-till last fall for the first time. So this is going to be the first spring planting into the strips. Just wondering if there's anything that we need to do additional to what our normal program is for seedling blight or any other issue due to the strip not warming up quite as fast as if we were doing conventional till. Now, strip till is new, so hoping you guys could share some advice with me. All right, Brian, what do you yeah, got? I guess my, yeah, I was just going to say my feeling is I think for the most part you're going to be not a whole lot different than what you've been in the past if you've been conventional till, but he's absolutely right here in saying the less tillage you do, the more chance you have to get disease and also insects. So we're just going to stress the importance of a good seed treatment. And if you want to do something beyond that, you certainly can. I, I mean, I think Zyway is a really good idea. Just keep it off the seed. As long as you keep it off the seed, Zyway and furrow is good. There's also headline if you wanted to try that. Yeah, I think for the most part, when you look at those strips, what's going to be really fun for you this year, Jeff, is to get out there with a soil temperature probe and just see what that temperature really is. Because I know a lot of farmers share the same concerns. Man, it's just not going to be as warm as my conventional till, but it's not going to be as cold as you think. And it's going to be noticeably warmer than in between those strips where all the residue's at. So just get out, do some checking on that and see. We found those strips to be seven degrees warmer than in between the strips. And almost 
almost as warm as the conventional till. So a lot of guys will have maybe some conventional till on the end of the field if they had some compaction or some wheel tracks or something they're cleaning up. And so in the same field, you often have a spot where you can say, okay, here's your conventional, here's your strip, and here's in between the strips. And, yep, it does warm up a little bit faster in conventional till, but it's not quite as extreme to, to cause some major, major concerns in most cases, at least from my experience. All right, I got a soil test sent in from Jonathan. Brian, if you can pull that one up. And he said, I'm looking for a recommendation here. I'm shooting for 250 bushel corn. I uh, got, a, got a couple different samples here that say north and south that come from the same field. They're corn on corn and not going into alfalfa like it says on the second page of my test. Uh, these farms are rented. And I've been farming them three years now, and I've just been split applying nitrogen, sulfur, zinc, and uh, black label. Last year's corn, this farm averaged 209. Uh, also, what would like to know what do you think about the alfalfa? I've been putting on 100 pounds of MAP and 30 pounds of sulfur per acre. Okay, so we're talking about the two fields, the ones that say north and south yep. first? yep. Yeah, I, I mean, he's actually got really good fertility. My biggest concern is the amount of sodium that's there. On the one field, it's 5% sodium, and the other, it's 4.6. So that tells me, number one, and especially with where I see the geography is, it's irrigated, isn't it? Uh, look at the bottom, though. Look at the soluble salts. Look at the boron. Look <laughs> exactly. at the sulfur. Exactly. Yep. But I'm just saying, how did the sodium levels get that high? And granted, maybe there's been manure put on in the past or something because we've got pretty good levels of P and K. Uh, so yeah, there's number one, a drainage issue out there most likely. So if it's me, I'm gonna try to get that addressed first. That's probably where I'd spend my first dollars. But what did he say? Rented, Rented ground. ground. So this is where, yep. So but he's been, he's, been there for, he's been there for three years now. So he should have a pretty decent yeah. relationship with that landlord that, okay, hey, we've been working three years together, raising 200 bushel corner, that's nice. Uh, but take a look at this, and here's what I see in the soil test. So here is here again, uh, John, is why we, we love pulling the soil samples. Good job on that. Now take those to the landlord and kind of explain some things. Look, this is what your ground's doing, and here's what happens. If you're at 5% sodium already, it's limiting water infiltration. It's limiting crop growth. If we get up higher than this, Pretty soon we aren't going to grow anything out here, and the land's worth nothing, and it takes forever to turn these things around. So if we can get the, yep. the drainage in, it's going to really improve the value of your land here. There's no question. Yeah, so the first thing I would do is talk to the landlord about that. Now, typically when I've gone to our landlords with this same conversation, I just have said, look, we could handle it one of two ways. Either we'll pay for all the tile, but we would like a long-term fixed-rent contract, or if you want to pay for the tile, we'll immediately pay you more rent. And almost every landlord has taken that option because the ground's going to be worth more once the tile gets in. Plus then every year they're getting more rent. So they win on both sides of that thing. Especially right now when interest rates are so cheap, a lot of landlords have money in the bank earning nothing. Well, anyway, the other side of this so the first thing I'm going to spend money on is tile. The second thing is I'm going to take a look at my water quality. I'm very, very concerned about your water quality. So I'd either treat the water or try to get a different source or do something because I'm afraid you're pumping all kinds of sodium out there. So if, if I look at the, the, corn, the two corn fields, I feel pretty good about almost everything. I mean, if it's me, yeah, I might bump uh, a little bit more iron or something like that, possibly some manganese. 
But otherwise, I feel pretty good. With the alfalfa field, on the other hand, that's a little bit different story. So the potassium level is low. If it's me, I'm going to invest more money in potassium out in the alfalfa field because alfalfa takes so much K out of the soil, and you're starting to run really low. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, really appreciate that, Jonathan. Uh, uh, hopefully that helps you out on the alfalfa and the corn crop for this year. All right. Got a question. This one came in from Peter, who works for the California Department of Parks and Rec. He said, first of all, guys, I love your show, and I'm not a farmer, but I, I do work for, for the state parks, and we run a herbicide-pesticide program. Now, uh, watching one of your recent shows here, you said that the corn insecticide program recommendations would kill most of the insects in the soil. My question is, does this include beneficial insects like earthworms, or do these insecticide, are these insecticides more specific on the bugs they control? Yeah, we don't see tremendous earthworm death. And I know that because we use a lot of these same insecticides on our own farm and I'm out there on a regular basis and I find all kinds of earthworms. Now, some of the older chemistries like counter and thymet that we used to use, those were much harder on the earthworms. So I feel pretty good, especially when it's the pyrethroid chemistry rather than the organophosphate chemistry that will be easier on the earthworms but yes, there could be some beneficial insects that will die, but it's that, that that's just the way that it goes sometimes. If you've got harmful bugs out there, you've got to get them under control or your crop is ruined or at least your your income is definitely hurt. So anyway, I do I again though do feel much better about these newer insecticides compared to the older ones. Yeah, the other thing is we're banding them. We're we're putting them in a narrow strip in the furrow in many cases. Yep. So we're yeah. we're getting to a very small percentage of the volume of soil. And some of these insecticides, like the neonics, for example, that are being used on seed treatments, <laughs> they're repellents. So in many cases, right. bugs uh, can tell, oh, you know what, uh, something's not right over here. I'm going to, I'm just going to move away. So it's not as big a deal on the earthworms as, as you might think. Hey, one other thing I'll say is these aren't super long lasting products either. They're only going to hang around for a couple of months typically. So you usually have a lot more growing season where any beneficials could certainly come back in. All right. Thanks for the, the question there, Peter. Really appreciate that. I got this one from Tom. He said, I have seen winter wheat fields that were frost seeded with the cover crop red clover. Weed control is pretty good, except for Canada thistle, because we haven't found anything that can kill the thistle without hurting the red clover. Just wondering, yep. have you guys got any other strategy that we might use uh, to control Canada thistle without hurting the red clover? No. But I wish we did, nope, Tom. I got nothing good. If we did, I think it'd yeah. be a million-dollar idea because we get that question quite often. People people have been liking the red clover in some of those mixes, and uh, it just uh, that's the downside of it. Uh, last one here for you, Brian. This one comes from Brent. He said, I need to buy some corn for my cattle. Uh, do you think the price is going to keep going up, or do you think I should wait, or do you think I should just bite the bullet? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, my personal feeling, and so please don't I, – I don't – you don't don't trust me is what I'm trying to say here, but I feel like it's going to keep going up. I really do, but we'll see. Yeah, that's that's a tough question, Brent. Uh, it, it's it's really hard to know what to do on some of those things. Uh, if we did, man, we'd only have to know once and know the right way, and uh, it'd be worth a lot of money, wouldn't it? Thanks for the question, though. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's show. 
Please join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.